Our text this morning comes from Luke chapter 17, and I'm going to read verses 15 through 18. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that returned to give glory to God, save this stranger. Now that text comes out of a very interesting incident in the life of Jesus. And this man that comes back to Jesus in our text is a man that all of us would like to know. A man who is an example to us. True enough, he's a Samaritan, a part of a mongrel race of people in that day and time. But in spite of that, he is a man that's worth knowing. We have no idea what his name was. He belongs to a vast company of anonymous helpers, those who live their beautiful lives and do their worthwhile deeds without ever taking the time to tell us who they are. And yet, though we do not know this man's name, we know enough about him to make us admire him. We know enough about him to make us even love him. Because his face looks at us across the centuries with a gripping winsomeness about it. There's something about Him that captivates us. His personality is as gracious and as fragrant as a bouquet of beautiful red roses. But when we first meet this man in the story, when we first meet Him in this little incident that precedes our text, there's nothing about this man to distinguish Him from the people He's keeping company with. He's part of ten Wretched men that are serving as somewhat of a welcoming committee for Jesus. Dr. Luke tells us that as Jesus is traveling from to Jerusalem, he enters a certain village, and we're not even told the name of the village. And truth be told, there is actually no reception committee at all. These ten men are not a part of the local chamber of commerce. In fact, the bonds that hold them together is that of a common tragedy. These ten men are staggering under the weight of a common disease. They're lepers. All ten of them are lepers. And they're all suffering from this same dreaded disease, and they're all outcasts from society. And they're all facing death. The same death. The same ghastly death. They're being buried piecemeal by the same horrible grave digger. And they're outcasts. They're shut out from the consolations of church. They're shut away from their friends. They're cast out of their homes. All ten of them are abandoned bits of human wreckage, fit only to be flung prematurely into an empty grave. 
And every one of these ten men is just as hopeless as the other. And yet, even though their situation seems hopeless, though they seem to be desperately doomed, these men actually are refusing to give up. They've got a desperate determination to live. They have no intention whatsoever of meeting death halfway. Faced with the grim reality of their disease and the kind of death it's going to bring, these men don't intend to take it lying down. They refuse to die until something actually kills them. And then there's something else they all have in common. They all have faith in Jesus. And that faith in Jesus is shown by what they do. You see, these men are aware of the strange rumors that have been circling throughout the countryside about this man called Jesus. And these men have heard that this man Jesus is passing their way. So they go out of the village to meet Him. Because they had heard about Him. They had heard it said that Jesus cared about people like no one else had ever cared. And that even outcasts, outcasts like them, they were not beyond the interest of Jesus. They had even heard that some dared to say that, that Jesus had touched lepers into purity. These wild rumors... These unbelievable tales had come to these ten lepers. To be sure, like all humanity, they were skeptical. They were hard to believe the stories they'd heard. But in spite of the doubts, all ten of these men believe. They really do believe. And they believe so strongly that they go out of the village and they're in search of this great physician. Not only do they go out to meet Jesus, but when Jesus starts to pass by, they come just as close and just as near to Him as they dare. And then they appeal to Jesus for help. They're men of prayer. Every one of them. And they know how to pray and how to ask in such a way as to win through to victory. Because their prayer is a prayer that's marked with a beautiful humility. These men do not ask for justice. They do not ask to be blessed in proportion of what they deserve. In simple faith. These men see Jesus coming by and they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Notice something else about these men. They prayed. But not only did they pray, they were obedient. And that, my friends, is the supreme proof of their faith. Once they got the attention of Jesus, and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus doesn't at once just stretch forth His hand and touch them into purity. On the contrary, What Jesus did do is lay upon these men a somewhat bewildering command. He tells them, he says, go and show yourselves to the priests. And you see, that's bewildering. Because that is what 
a leper was supposed to do after he had been cured. But Jesus tells these ten men, while they are still afflicted with this loathsome disease of leprosy, Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priests. It seems to them to be futile. It seems to them to be foolish. And nothing, of course, is going to come of it. But in spite of the seeming futility of the command, they obey. They obey because they believe. And as they obey and went on their way to show themselves to the priests, guess what? All ten of them found healing. Setting out on that journey, it seems like they are on a fool's errand. But they haven't gone far before something wonderful happens to them. The path of obedience is always the path of healing and the path of discovery. Write that down. It's going to be on the final exam. The path of obedience is always the path of healing and the path of discovery. All of them felt new life pulsing through their veins. Each of them is looking with wide-eyed wonder into the face of the other one. And they're seeing. They're seeing what they feel is too good to be true. And yet, they're witnesses to it. They know it's true. All ten of those men were alike in their need. They were all alike in their eagerness for help. They were all alike in their faith and in their healing. And it's at that point that their likeness ends. Having been healed, what do they do? The conduct of the majority is, to say the least, disappointing. I can imagine them by an eye of faith standing there on the roadway, on the highway, just long enough to realize the marvelous change that has come to them. And with feet made nimble by joy, they continue their journey. And I can almost hear the conversations between them. I can hear one of those cleansed leopards say, I haven't seen my farm in a year. And he hurries on his way to go see his farm. And another says, I haven't been to my store even longer than that. And he heads off toward home. And a third one said, it's been a long, weary time since I felt the hug of my wife's arms and the kiss of my baby's lips. And off he goes. And in just a matter of minutes, all of them have left and the road is completely empty. Well, actually, there's one man left. And I see him. I see him looking up the road where all of his companions have just vanished. And on his face is a tender expression of joy, but it's joy mixed with bewilderment. This man has a business he hasn't seen for months. He too has a burning desire in his heart to to see those he loves that he hasn't seen in who knows how long. But for this man... There's something more pressing on his mind than all of that. 
This man feels like he must first go back. He must go back to the man who cured him. To the man who gave him his life back. And he must express his appreciation. So he turns around and he goes back to Jesus. But this time, he makes the journey alone. And he gets to Jesus, and in an abandon of gratitude, he falls down at the feet of Jesus, giving thanks. So now you have the picture of our text. Ten go to beg. One returns to praise and express thanksgiving. This Samaritan, friends, this Samaritan is a man worth knowing. He's only a Samaritan. But he towers above his fellows like the mountain towers above the valley. And why is that? What's wrong with those other nine lepers? Those that Jesus mentions when Jesus says, Where are the nine? Those nine lepers didn't say anything unkind to or unkind about the one who healed them. They simply said nothing at all. Those nine leopards took their priceless gift and went their way in silence. And today we honor this nameless Samaritan because he knew how to say the gracious, heartening words Thank you. It's a lesson we need to learn. We need to learn a lesson from this Samaritan, and we need to be thankful. Thursday of this week, we're going to celebrate what we're pleased to call in our nation Thanksgiving Day. A day set aside to express gratitude to God for all the blessings we've had during the year. For several months, for many, a great deal of work and planning has gone into these celebrations. If you've stopped at the checkout line at the grocery store or Walmart, the racks have been filled with tips for decorating and and cooking. And We know exactly what Rachel Ray and Paula Dean and Sandra Lee and Martha Stewart and Reed Drummond, we know exactly what all of them are planning to do for the holiday. I've watched some of the cooking shows with Norma. I hope to goodness she doesn't mess up sweet potatoes and asparagus and some and, and dressing the way some of those people are going to mess it up. But anyway. Most of us won't be doing the things that Sandra Lee and Martha Stewart and Reed Drummond are doing for the holidays. But many have bought the magazines just so they can know. But Thanksgiving, that Thanksgiving holiday, is almost that forgotten time of the year. It almost seems like we've got to get Thanksgiving over with so we can move on to Christmas and Santa Claus and Jingle Bells and Grandma getting run over by a reindeer. Now seriously, I often wonder about that. 
Do we get so caught up in the holiday that we actually forget about being thankful? Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18. And Paul said, in everything, give thanks. I know. Sure. We are thankful after a fashion. We are. But do we ever really stop and genuinely count our blessings? If we take the time to consider it, our blessings far outweigh our problems. Do we have problems? Absolutely. Every one of us has problems. And sometimes they tend to overwhelm us. And the person you might consider to be the most carefree in the world, if you come to know that person and come to know them deeply, you'll discover they have problems also. And usually, my problems are a whole lot worse than Leon's are. And my problems are a whole lot worse than yours are, too. I don't care how bad yours are. Mine are worse. Isn't that the way we look at it? Our problems are worse than anybody else's problems. And the reason for that is we're so close to them. And we feel that our problems have to be the heaviest problems that anyone can have. And it's in that situation we need to pause. We need to remember our blessings. Because when we look at our blessings, we can then see our problems in their proper perspective. An attitude of counting our blessings is going to change our basic life attitudes from negative to positive. And if we can see our day-to-day problems, and then we can see even our longer range problems against a background of our blessings. Our lives can be so much happier. And we'll also find we can be much more constructive in facing our problems. I would challenge all of us right now, this week, focus our lives on our blessings. But not just at this season of the year. Focus our lives on our blessings all year long. Let's think of what we have instead of what we don't have. I sometimes think it would be good for us to just sit down with a tablet, the old-fashioned kind that you write on, and make a list of all of our blessings. And then take one of those magnets and stick it to the refrigerator. So we can see every day what our blessings are. Think about the blessings that all of us enjoy. The blessings that are associated with this earthly life. Maybe the list would begin with food and clothing and shelter. And I realize those are some very broad categories. But in each of those we can think of specific specific points that we're grateful for. You know, as I think of food, shocked that I'd think of food, aren't you? 
But in thinking of food, as I look around this room, all of us have been richly blessed. My scales say that I've been more richly blessed than a lot of other people with copious amounts of good food. Think of what you have to be thankful for. I'm thankful for Bluebell ice cream. You know, Will Rogers was a great American humorist of another era a hundred years ago. And Will Rogers famously made the statement, I never met a man I didn't like. I was talking with someone the other day and I said, you know, I never took the top off of a carton of Bluebell I didn't like. Now, I like some of it better than others. But I have never taken the top off of a carton of Bluebell that I didn't like it. So thank God for Bluebell ice cream. Thank God for good, strong coffee. And all of us can think of things that we're thankful for. Think of home and family and friends. And when we think of our home and our family and friends, we can think of details about that. Details about our family, details of our friends. We can think of our friends and how they've blessed us and how they've made our lives more pleasant. And how they've brought us courage and strength in times of need. And we can think about the beauties of nature that God's provided for us. And our ability to see the beauty of God's creation. We can be thankful for the blessing of living in this great nation that we call America. Sure, it's got problems. But even with its problems... It's still the greatest nation on earth to live in. But when we think about food and clothing and shelter, and we think about our family and our home and our friends, and we think about living in America, all of those vanish into nothing. When we think about the spiritual blessings that we can enjoy and that we do enjoy, we are children of God as much as Abraham, David, or Daniel were. And we can think of the love that God had for me and the love that God has for my soul. That God loved me enough. God loved my soul enough. God considered my soul and your soul so valuable that He sent Jesus from His throne on high to come to this earth to die, to cleanse me a soul from sin and make me a fit subject for heaven. Through Jesus I have the forgiveness of my sins. And being children of God, we can go to the throne of God in prayer. We can call God our Father. And we know that God's going to hear us. God's going to listen to us. And God is going to answer our prayer. And we've got the promise that Jesus made as He left His disciples. He said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there, you might be also. And we have the fellowship of one another. The fellowship of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We want to take a lesson from that Samaritan, folks. We want to make sure we're not one of those ungrateful nine. If we want to be happy, If we want to be pleasing to God, we must count our blessings. We've got to learn to count our blessings. 
and not count our troubles. And we need to show our gratitude to God for our many blessings by living God's kind of life. The great spiritual blessings that God gives are found only in Jesus Christ. Only in the church. The natural physical blessings, they're for all men. But the spiritual blessings, those are found only for those who are willing to follow their Lord. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to it. Who hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And in order to have those blessings, we've got to accept Jesus Christ. We've got to obey Jesus Christ. We've got to make Jesus Christ the Lord and the Master of our lives and live His kind of life. That means believing on Him as the Son of God, repenting of our sins, confessing His name, and being buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of past sins. God's gift of salvation depends on our obedience to those initial commands. And after that, He adds us to the church. It all hinges on Jesus Christ being the Lord and Master of our lives. Because if Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master of all of your life, He's not Lord and Master at all in your life. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in your heart this morning. Maybe there's some reason that Jesus isn't Lord and Master of your life. Maybe you need to make changes for Him to be Lord of your life. If we can help you, if we can assist you in making the changes necessary for Jesus to be the Lord and Master of your life, this is your opportunity to come and let us help you with that as together we stand and while we sing.